today. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for, oh, how you met us in worship. We thank you for the way you love us. And I'm asking you, Jesus, right now that you would encounter us through your word. Just continue to open your heart to us as we open our hearts to you. And I'm asking for the spirit of revelation to fall on this room. And I pray, Lord, help me to speak as your oracle. Help me to declare truth. Help me to be vulnerable with the truths that you've given me. And hold my hand as I share this morning. And I just pray you'd encounter every single heart, all those that are connecting online, all those that are here with us. Encounter every heart this morning, Lord. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Well, we're starting a new series today. I get to launch it. And um, the series is entitled Living with a Burning Heart. Living with a Burning Heart. And obviously the worship team has already begun to take us that direction. And um, man, I just so appreciate their ministry to us and how they've led us today. But um, what we're going to do over the next several weeks, probably five or six weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look um, specifically at John 13 through 17. These are the last words of Jesus. They're the, the pinnacle of Jesus' teaching. Some gospel commentators call it the final frontier of the gospel, John 13 to 17. And as we're digging into John 13 to 17, we're going to do that through the lens of Revelation 3, chapter 3, verse 15 through 20. So we're going to set up the John 13 to 17 through Revelation 3, 15 through 20. You with me? All right. So today I'm going to talk about Revelation 3, 15 through 20. And as I'm doing that, some of you already know what that chapter and those verses are talking about. Like some of you are already doing the math, and you know that's Laodicea. And then some of you know that Laodicea is like, oh, no. We're about to get vomited. Oh, no. Because that's the passage where Jesus says, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Well, that's not, the, that's not the direction we're going with that passage today, though we will talk about that point. But I want to share it more from a personal standpoint. Um, these passages, the Revelation 3, 15 through 20, the John 13 through 17, they've been meaning a lot to me personally and a lot to our leadership team um, over the last eight, eight weeks, 10 weeks. And so what we're going to do is we're going to come out of that place of where the Lord's been ministering to us. Uh, I, I find that that's the best place to minister from. Instead of just teaching some lesson, if, if, if we can come out of the place where God's been encountering us, it tends, to, it tends to hit the mark the most. It tends to be what the Lord wants to say to, to many. Well, I'll just share a story with you. Um, last year, whenever the shutdown came from uh, COVID, right there, the end of March, beginning of April, the Lord highlighted to me Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 through 20. He put that on my heart, and I remember looking at it, and I remember doing a video, put a video out on it on one of the social media platforms, and, and kind of just moved on, what's the next thing? Well, about, like I said, about two months ago, a little over, 
the Lord starts highlighting Revelation 3, 15 through 20 to me again. And it had gotten so, like, so many other things had gotten in my mind that I literally was like, wait, didn't I have something about that last year? Oh, wait a minute. And I had to go back and look it up. I'd almost forgotten. And um, I don't know how it is with you, but sometimes the Lord will speak something to me, and I'll go, right, yeah, I got that one, Lord. They all need Revelation 3, 15 through 20, all of them out there, whoever they are. And he goes, hey, hey, bud, hey, remember that Revelation 3, 15 through 20? That wasn't for them. That was for you. Take another look. And as I began to look at it, man, the Lord started encountering me. He started ministering to my heart with, like, tenderness and, and, and intimacy and, and deep conviction and and so that's where we're going to come from today. So let's go ahead and let's look at this passage, Revelation 3. It's Jesus speaking to the church of Laodicea. This was a real church in the first century in Asia Minor. Jesus is giving this letter. He's, he's giving John seven letters to seven churches that were real churches of that time, and he's giving this letter to John to give to Laodicea, and he's going to speak specifically to them about his heart for them, and he's going he's gonna to deal with them in a very, very focused and intentional way, and so here he says, he says, verse 15, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So uh, I would just say this, that any any revival preacher, any evangelist over the years, they will use this passage. And, and so often they'll take this passage and they'll focus it toward unbelievers and say, Jesus is standing at the door of, of your heart. You need to open your heart to Jesus and come and get saved. Let Jesus come into your heart, get born again, and, and he will save you. He will fellowship with you. He will save you. And, and I appreciate that application. I, I understand why um, evangelists use that. But the, the context here is not a message to the unsaved. This is a message to believers. And so if, that, if you have that in your paradigm, like th those unsaved people, they all need to open their hearts. <laughs> let's go ahead and just back that up a bit. And let's realize that Jesus was actually talking to the church and um, 
And so for me, I will just go ahead and say I've been guilty of this, and I've heard many preachers do the same thing, that usually when this passage is referenced, what tends to be referenced is the, the first two verses um, where he says you're not cold and you're not hot. I wish you were either cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. And, and it's usually left right there. And then all the details about how bad it is to be vomited and spewed and all the different words that go with vomit and spewing and how bad it is to be lukewarm, that's heavily emphasized. Well, it's definitely a part of the passage, but it's not the entire thrust of this passage by any stretch. And, um, and I'm just as guilty as anybody. Um, and God's going to vomit you out of his mouth. You need to get right with God. You know, I've done that many, many times. And, um, and just to be honest, in approaching this passage, um, I've always read it, historically, I've read it where Jesus has got a bit of an attitude. He's like, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. All you lukewarm, vomitocious people, you know, he's just got this attitude and he's upset. And... Um, and actually, when you read this, what you find out is this is not his attitude in it at all. If you just, if you just let the words in this passage kind of wash over you a bit, um, you find that he has a completely different attitude toward the church of Laodicea. Um, he's correcting them, but he's correcting them in deep tenderness. Uh, and he is addressing them because he is after greater intimacy. And so uh, I just want to kind of walk through this and highlight some of these points. And then what I want to do is um, I want to share something the Lord has, has done with me in the last couple of months. It's been profound. It's been powerful. It's been deeply convicting and confronting, but also it's been um, life-changing and if you don't mind, I'll be a little vulnerable with you guys today. Can we do that in church? Can we get vulnerable and be honest? So uh, one of the things immediately when I look at this passage, I realize is that with all the other letters to the churches, Jesus, he calls out their specific sins. He actually identifies things that they were doing that were specific. He, he calls out, you know, immorality or fellowshipping with, you know, um, in, in temples where they were sacrificing meat to idols or, or losing their first love. He, he's very, very specific about actions that they um, are committing that are sinful. Well, with Laodicea, he's not, he doesn't highlight any specific actions. He actually just highlights a mentality. And it's really interesting because the mentality leaves them incredibly spiritually handicapped, and it's a mentality that they do not realize that they have. And uh, I've said for a long time, the most dangerous person in any room is, is the one that doesn't know that he doesn't know. <laughs> you know, you might know that you don't know, but if you don't know that you don't know, you're that guy, there's all sorts of outcomes that could happen because of your ignorance. Well, that's what he's telling Laodicea. He's saying, hey, 
hey guys, whole church of Laodicea, you don't know what you don't know. And you need to know it. And then he dials in on this, this one specific thought. He says, because you say you have need of nothing and you do not know. And this is where the Lord highlighted to me some, some deep things that he was wanting to address in my own heart. Because if I'm honest, and many of you that have been around in the Lord a long time, if you're honest, there's a, a whole bunch of sort of places of maturity that I think we, we kind of get to in the Lord. We kind of get the hundred verses down. We quit, you know, cussing, watching the really bad R-rated movies. We quit doing the real bad stuff. So all the bad sins are over here. We don't do those anymore. We're, we're Christians, you know. And, and, you know, you just kind of feel like you've, there's, a, there's a place of arrival at maturity, you know. And, and I think that that's been um, one of the things in my own soul that the Lord's put his finger on where I realize I need Jesus. I need him desperately, but I'm not thinking I need him to deal with my heart. I'm thinking I need him for more anointing, more power, more kingdom ministry because I've gotten most of the main stuff handled, okay? And what I think happens and happens to, has happened to me and happens to others is we go along and we get the main big bad stuff dealt with and then there's just these other little areas, just issues, challenges, hang-ups, call them what you call them, that we just expect, well, the Lord understands. I mean, I'm only human. You know, I'm just, I'm just a guy or I'm just a girl. And of course, I mean, everybody deals with that. And what the Lord is looking for are wide open hearts that are willing for him to walk into those wide open hearts and that when he comes in, he brings all that he is and so that none of the hangups get to stay hung up. And instead, they get burned up. And, and so this issue of thinking you have need of nothing that was the one that the Lord really put his finger on for me. This, this place of imagining you have need of nothing. And what he started doing for me was tying together that the definition of being lukewarm is believing that in any area of your life, you don't need Jesus in that area because you already got it. Just let that one just rest on you. And so as, as I was going through this, I realized, well, there's a whole bunch of areas of attainment I think I've arrived at. And, and, and he's saying, but look at lukewarmness. Look, look at what I was saying to Laodicea. I was telling them, because they say they have need of nothing, they do not know. They're poor, wretched, miserable, blind, 
and naked. And what I did for you in the notes is I broke down all these things that Jesus says and how he, how he kind of um, walks through a process with them. And then I give little, little definitions on each of those. But each one of those words is a specific area of sort of shallowness and coldness in the heart. Poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. And that, the, the things that hit me were this, these points about being um, miserable. It's, it's this pitiful state. He goes, you're blind and you're naked and you're pitiful and you don't know it. Think about how awkward that would be. You, never, you know, there's that, people have that dream. I'm not going to actually say, well, okay, I've had this dream too, where you show up at the store and you don't have your clothes on. You ever had that one? Just me? <laughs> so I had this dream one time. <laughs> but, you know, you, maybe you needed to have pants on and you didn't. You're like, or you didn't have, you're like why, why don't I have a shirt on? <laughs> you know, like, and you're in school with your shirt off. Like, I graduated. I don't know what this is. But... You show up and you're not clothed. Now, could you imagine in reality, in reality, you're like, I'm sure I'm clothed, and you show up and you're completely unclothed. And he's saying, he goes, you don't realize it, but you're exposed. You're exposed and you don't realize it. And he goes, and you think you can see, but you can't. And he goes, it's pitiful. Guys, it's pitiful. And so he says these phrases like he goes, I counsel you. See, he's not coming with the backhand. He's not coming to sort of grab us by the neck and like shake us around and go, I'm going to vomit you. You know, he's, it's not how he's coming. He's coming with this gentle heart. He goes, listen, listen, you, you are in a serious spiritual state that you don't even realize how serious it is. And, and, and he goes, man, it's miserable. He goes, you're actually poverty stricken, but you think you're, you're supplied. You think you've got everything and you don't know that you're deeply needy. He goes, you're actually wretched. He goes, it's pitiful. You're miserable. He goes, you can't see and you're exposed. He's not telling us that because he's angry. He's telling us that because he cares. And his, his answer to it is, I'm counseling you. I'm coming to you as a counselor because I want to help you get out of this state of blindness, out of this state of being exposed. I want to help you to get out of this state of imagining you need nothing. And that right there really is the contact point. That really is where the rubber meets the road. It's this place where you have these areas in your heart and you think, well, I'm good in that area. I don't need anything. I've arrived. And I would just say, just gently say to you, if you're willing to take inventory of your own heart and start with the places where you think you got it together 
and then ask Jesus to come into that place, I think you'll find amazing Holy Spirit activities. Because I think we tend to assess things through our own lens, and then he assesses things through his lens, and we tend to have the 10 areas that we think are a problem, and he's not talking about any of those 10. He's talking about other stuff. Well, he says, I'm going to counsel you. He goes, I want to counsel you to get real gold, to get gold refined in the fire, real riches. He goes, and, and I'm going to counsel you to, to get white garments so you're covered. He goes, I don't want you to be shamed. And he goes, I, and I want to counsel you um, that you would get uh, anointing salve for your eyes, that your blindness can be removed, your eyes could be healed. You could actually see you could actually have revelation and understanding. And, and then he says, um, I, I need you to know this. The reason why I'm doing this, the reason why I'm putting my finger on these areas is because I love you. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Those two words, are, they're translated a bunch of different ways in the different versions when you read up the different Bible versions. But he basically is saying, I love you, so I'm going to call you out and correct you. Nobody likes being called out. Nobody likes that. But he goes, I love you so much, I'm not going to let you sit there poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. I don't. I won't. He goes, I love you more than that. I love you more than to act like your lukewarm state of sin is okay. I love you more than that. He goes, so I will call you out and correct you because I love you, not to shame you, to cover your shame. Do you see how he deals with us? I think for years I just had, his, I just had the wrong attitude assigned to him in this passage, and I'm like, man, he's being so tender. He's, he, he doesn't show up and say, there's a problem, and figure out the answer. He literally gives you the test and then gives you the answers to the test. That's like the best class ever. <laughs> Do you ever have that happen to you when you're in school and maybe in college? Not ever happened to me in college. Maybe high school. You showed up and... You know, maybe everybody bombed the test, and the next day the teacher goes, everybody bombed the test. Here's the answers. Let's do them all together. We're going to give everybody a 90. I'm like, yes. <laughs> Praise God. Jesus shows up like that. He goes, you've all bombed the test, but I'm giving you the answers. He goes, you all, maybe you don't even know that you bombed it, but you did, but I'm giving you the answers. And I'll tell you what happened in my own heart. There was a, a shift that the Lord took me through. This has been about six weeks, and I'll, and I'll explain in detail in just a moment. But he dealt with me in this way of thinking about Christian maturity as a place that you arrive at. And he, and he was just dealing with me, showing me, like, you think you've arrived at maturity in your walk, you think you've arrived at maturity in love, 
But what you don't realize is that in your walk, the place of arrival is actually the continual confession of your need. The place of arrival is when you are willing to continually confess you are needy. Okay? This isn't in the, it's not gonna show up on the screen, but can I just show you one Bible passage? Uh, Second um, Corinthians. Just flip over there on your device. I'd like you to lay your eyes on it. Second Corinthians chapter 12. And if you guys have quick fingers in the back, I'm gonna go 2 Corinthians 12, 10 if you, if you can do it, but I don't blame you if you can't. 2 Corinthians 12, 10. There's so much going on in this passage. Um, Paul describes a heavenly encounter he's had and describes how the Lord was exalting him above measure and all these revelations the Lord was giving him. And then he describes this issue that he calls a thorn in the flesh that was also given to him. So he's got these heavenly encounters given to him and then this messenger of Satan at the same time. So he's, he's experiencing amazing stuff with the Lord and there is an, an, uh, uh, an attack of the enemy at the same time. And, and so he asked the Lord, he says, three times I asked the Lord that it would depart from me. Verse eight, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And verse nine, and the Lord said to me, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I, Paul now saying, because of this whole encounter, he goes, I, I will rather boast in infirmities that the power of Christ would rest upon me. This is the mature apostle. He would see people raised from the dead. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he says, I am going to boast in my infirmities. Now, that's not just sicknesses. That's my weaknesses and my needs that the power of Christ may rest on me. Now, look at verse 10, because this is where it's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> he goes, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. I'm, that word take pleasure, could be, it could be uh, interpreted, I'm delighted with infirmities. Another translation is, I'm satisfied with infirmities. But not just infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you understand the mature apostle from the New Testament, from the Bible, is telling us the place of arrival is taking pleasure in infirmities, in needs, in persecutions, in reproaches, and in distresses. Because when we are in that place of vulnerable weakness, the power of God rests on us. Now that's just not American. <laughs> Darn it. 
that's just not American at all. Weaknesses, you're taking pleasure in being weak, in being needy. And I think Paul would say, yeah, this is what I've arrived at. This is what it's come to. <laughs> that the only way forward for me is to embrace the reproach of following Jesus and to confess and come to grips with the fact that I will never arrive, that I always need him, that I'm always in need of him, that in every area I need him to live himself through me, which is why he would write, I have been crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ, who loved me, gave himself for me. He lives through me. And this is the place of Christian maturity. I just want to point out this one word, uh, this word uh, reproaches. It's rough. It, it literally, it's a Greek word, hubris. It's where we get the English word hubris. It's when somebody is arrogantly talking down to you. Oh, that's fun. Paul goes, I take pleasure in people arrogantly talking down to me. It's just like, um, I'm not saved, Paul. <laughs> I don't know what that means. He goes, I take pleasure in distresses. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because when I'm weak, catch it, I'm in touch with my need. When I'm in touch with my need, then I'm not lukewarm. But when I think I'm not needy, that's the definition of lukewarmness. You following me? Back over to Revelation 3. So Jesus is gently correcting Laodicea. He's coming as a counselor, he's coming as a lover, he's coming because he wants something. And what he wants is intimacy. He goes, I'm standing at the door and knocking. Now, somebody say, well, I'm a Christian. I've already asked Jesus into my heart. And yes, Jesus Christ, he lives in your spirit. John 14 is really clear about this. He lives in your spirit by the Father and the Son live in your spirit by the Holy Spirit who have come, they've come and made their home in you. The, the, the triune God, he lives in you by the Holy Spirit. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely biblical. But what we don't realize is that the, the Hebrew way of thinking of spirit, soul, and body, heart, inner man, it's, it's, the lines are way more blurred than we tend to make them when we kind of, we kind of think more Greek, like it's spirit, soul, body, three parts, you know, and the, the Hebrew way is a little more blurry like that. And so when he's saying, I'm standing at the door knocking, Paul would say, he goes, I'm praying for you that Christ would dwell in your heart through faith. And, and the idea is, yeah, God's in your spirit, but you need him to possess your soul. You need him to possess your emotions. You need to possess your mind, your feelings. 
And Jesus goes, I want that level of intimacy with you. I want that level of encounter with you. I'm asking you. He goes, I'm knocking on the door. I'm knocking on the door. And I'm asking you, will you open your heart and let me in? Will you let me walk right in? Well, probably about a, a year, a little over a year ago, year and a half ago, the Lord, he started putting this song on my heart that that's the refrain that keeps going over and over and over in the song. And I hadn't heard it in years, but it says, open up your heart and let me in, open up your heart and let me in. And I was singing this song around. I couldn't even remember what song it was. I had to like look it up on Spotify. And then I started playing it. I was like, oh, it's such a good song. Open up your heart and let me in. Yes, Lord. And I started praying that. I was, and I was in, now I'm into Revelation 3. This is about, you know, I've been singing that song for a year. Now I'm into Revelation 3. And I go, oh, my gosh, this song, open up your heart and let me in. It's Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens up, he goes, I'll come in. He doesn't just say, I'll come in. He goes, I'll come in, and we're going to fellowship. We're going to have partnership. And what I started realizing is, he goes, I'm asking you to be vulnerable with me. Just quick parentheses. You know what I realized? We can do all sorts of Christian stuff and never be vulnerable with Jesus. Like, seriously. Like, we can listen to the Christian song, we can read the Christian book, we can go to the Christian meeting, go to the Christian concert, watch the Christian TV show. We can Christian our faces off and literally never open our heart to Jesus. The very thing Jesus wants is to come into our heart, and we can go through all the Christian motions and never open our hearts. And, and here's the thing I, I just have to ask when was the last time you intentionally sat before him and said, Jesus, I open up my heart to you? And there might be all sorts of stuff in there that we don't want him to see. And it's like when the... Uh, Guest comes to your house unexpected, and you open there and go, oh, hold on a sec. Start running around, like, fixing everything. Like, ah, hi, come on in. Just that idea of opening our heart to Jesus and letting him walk through our house without tidying up first. Oh, my gosh. Now, now we're getting real because when he walks in there, he brings all of him. And I, I got this picture in my mind. I know, I know God speaks to you guys in way more holy, sanctified ways. He speaks to me in all sorts of funny ways. He uses movies. He uses all sorts of stuff. But there's the Fantastic Four and um, there's the one guy, he's the human torch. He's like all fire. And when Jesus walks in, he's that guy. And unless everything in your house is completely fireproof, he's going to burn everything down. So I'm praying this prayer. I'm, I'm in these verses. I've got that song, open up your heart, let me in. I'm like, yes, Revelation 3, 15 through 20. I put out a video last year. They all need to repent, all those lukewarm people out there. 
And he goes, check it out again. There's a lot there. I go, yeah. I, and here's what happened. I got invited to speak at a men's event, a church in St. Louis. And I went and did their men's event. And the Lord's putting Revelation 3, 15 through 20. And I preach all weekend on the men's event. I get all this revelation. All these men, they need to repent of their lukewarmness. And in between the sessions, man, the Lord is like, it's on me. And he's like, look a little deeper. Look a little deeper. Look a little deeper. And so uh, here's what happens. Um, I was talking to one of my sons, and whenever I say one of my sons, it could be any of the three, and basically all three are one in the story. I just conflate them into a person. But I was talking to one of my sons, and uh, and I'll be honest, I'll be honest with you. He said to me probably like one of the sentences like that would be the best sentence you could ever hear from your son, from your adult son. And I, and because I, I asked him a question, I said, "Hey, I'm just noticing you and I are a lot closer. It feels like we're we're flowing a lot more together. We're a lot closer than we have been." Do you feel that? He goes, yeah, Dad, I feel that. And I said, oh, wow, that's amazing. I said, why? Why do you, what do you think that is? And he said, well, and he, this is the sentence, this is a beautiful sentence. He said, I've just come to realize that you're safe. And I just thought every dad on the planet wants to hear that from their kid. They want to be that. Maybe they don't even know they want to be that. And, uh, and I said, oh, thank you. Thank you. But the phrase that got highlighted to me was, I've just come to realize. And this was the Lord dealing with me in an area I didn't think I had any need. Because I think I'm a good dad. I've got a great relationship with my kids. I mean, I just, I'm going in and out. Is there something I can do? It is, it's going in and out, right? Yeah, okay. Not sure? Okay. I just love my kids. We have an amazing relationship. It's fantastic. Um, and so this is an area where I didn't think I had any need. And, uh, and so my son says, I, just, I come to realize you're a safe place for me. And what gets highlighted to me is the I've come to realize. It puts a question in my head. Was there a time when you felt like I wasn't a safe place. And we're, now we're getting vulnerable and open. He goes, well, yeah. And he recounts to me a time four or five years ago where he goes, he, he goes, you know, I did something wrong, Dad. He goes, I really did do something wrong. It was really wrong. He goes, but you responded. He goes, you were really upset. He goes, and then, you know, I had to go away and come back. And then when you corrected me, when I came back, you know, he goes, you just were so strong with me. He goes, you don't know this. But I went and cried for an hour in the bathroom. And I was, when he said that to me, I was sick. I just got sick my, to my stomach. I just was like, oh, buddy, I am so sorry. And we started talking through it. And uh, the Lord just began to gently put his finger on me. So the next day, the Lord, I, I come in, I'm in the prayer room, and the Lord, 
he just, he just shows me this area of frustration. Now, I don't think of myself as a frustrated person. I'm, I'm a happy guy. I'm, I'm a lover. I'm not a fighter, you know. I'm, I'm happy. I'm relational. I don't walk around angry. But he shows me this area of frustration, and, and this is what he starts dialing in for me. He goes, you've thought somebody could do you wrong to a certain level and you forgive all of it and then you just assess that after a certain level it was reasonable for you to get frustrated and then Jesus goes but that's not me he goes I'm 70 times 7 but I'm at least 10 or 15 (laughs) he goes yeah that's not me son that's flesh and uh, so then he shows me someone else close to me. And he says, I want you to repent of being frustrated with them because you've been frustrated. I said, okay, and I repent. Well, when I repent, boom, tears. And then the Lord shows me someone else and I repent to them, boom, tears. Then I go through all my kids, tears. I try to repent to my wife. She goes, I've known this forever. I already knew this. I've been praying for this for years. (laughs) Not exactly, but basically. And we would highlight different ones, the ones real close to me. And I'd say, hey, listen, I realize that there's been times when I've been frustrated with you and I'm so sorry. I've been too strong, harsh, arrogant. And I had grown men in front of me weeping and uh, just broken. And I went through a deep place of conviction and mourning and brokenness over these moments of being frustrated. Not, I'm not a yeller. I'm, I'm just not that guy. But uh, having to take ownership of my own sin. And what the Lord did was he put his finger on an area that I thought I had no need. Because you say you're rich and have need of nothing and do not know. You're poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. Because I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. That refined in the fire gold that is faith that is tested and purified. It's not faith that's arrived. It's faith that's been through the furnace and has stayed employed, stayed locked in, stayed in faith even through all the things that hell can offer, all the challenges of this world can offer, and everything your flesh shirks at faith that stays in the game and keeps asking Jesus to come in, it gets purified, gold refined in the fire. Because white garments, well, the white garments are the righteous works of the saints. Because I salve, the spirit of revelation, that you could see, you could have wisdom. But I'm gonna tell you what happened. As, as Jesus walked into my heart in this area, It was so shocking and so stunning to me. It was one of those places of, oh my gosh, 
I thought I had this area down and I had no idea that I'm needy. I'm poor, wretched, miserable, blind, naked. And the Lord just began to do a work in me. And I would tell you that for a few weeks, I literally felt like I was in ashes. I felt like Jesus, the human torch, walked right into the front door of my house and everything went up in fire. And, I'm, and a little bit in my own heart, I was like, hey, Jesus, you're burning everything down. Like, come on. <laughs> you're burning my whole house down. And I almost felt like the Lord just goes, buddy, I just walked in the front door. You want to look at the rest of the rooms? I'm like, no, you can burn the lobby down. Burn the lobby on down. And uh, what I realized is that when he comes in, all of him comes in. I tried to repent to my daughter. I, 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 I say to her, she's, or I say about her, she's the most spiritual one in our family. I said, baby, I know there's times I've been frustrated. I'm so sorry. She goes, it's okay, daddy. I've already forgiven you. She goes, everybody acts like that from time to time. I go, but it's not okay. She goes, I know. You're forgiven. I'm like, could you lay hands on me, baby? <laughs> you know what I realized? Jesus wants to walk in the front door of all of our hearts. And I think we've gotten so attuned to doing Christian things and doing church that we've literally gone through the motions without opening our hearts to him. And I was thinking about how often we've trained our kids, you know, to do the Christian disciplines, to do the things that are Christian, to watch the Christian shows. You know, we, we raise them on, we raised our kids on Bible Man and Veggie Tales. Glory to God. And yeah, those are bad shows, and these are good shows, but, but did we raise them opening their hearts to the man, Christ Jesus? Because you could literally be in your 20s, in your 30s, older than that in this room, and have gone through an entire Christian life, and you never vulnerably opened your heart to him. And what's amazing to me is how Jesus, the very thing he wants, he doesn't want more good works out of you. He wants your heart. He's not trying to get you to do more stuff. He just wants your heart. And the very thing that he wants, which is an open, vulnerable heart, is the very thing we don't train people to do. It's shocking. And what I see in Revelation 3, 20, it's a bit of a mission statement of Jesus, the Son of God. His mission statement could be, I want to come in and have a lifelong encounter of fellowship with you. That's what I want from you. Everybody thinks, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? He goes, I want you. I want a fellowship with you. I want to be with you. I want to encounter you. And 
The truth of the matter is when he comes in, he comes all the way in. He comes in with all of him. And whatever is in there that's burn up, burn upable will get burned up. The question is, are we willing to open our hearts in that way? The series is entitled Living with a Burning Heart. It may be, it may be more like living with a house on fire. I don't know. But I do know this, that there is an invitation to our spiritual family to learn how to live with an open heart, to learn how to live with a heart that's authentic, that's real, that's not just going through the motions or doing the Christian thing, but that literally says, Jesus, I, yeah, I've got a frustration issue. I've got an anger problem. Or, or Jesus, I've got, a, I've got an issue in this area or that area. I need you to come in. What's amazing to me is, he says, if you'll open the door, I'll come in. He goes, and I'll fellowship with you. He goes, I don't care what the food is that you're serving. He goes, I'll eat it. I'll come right in and fellowship with you. I mean, if Jesus was coming to your house tonight, how many days would you have worked to prepare the meal? I mean, you do everything you can. I mean, how many courses? I mean, you know, for, for those of us that are, you know, culinarily challenged, we'd be like employing somebody to like make a meal for Jesus. He goes, you know what? I'm coming in and I'll eat whatever you put in front of me because I just want you. I don't want your best presentation of you. I want the real you. And I've come to believe this. We've said it a long time. Many have said it, that spiritual hunger is the currency of the kingdom of God. I'm beginning to believe that a vulnerable open heart is as much the currency of the kingdom of God as spiritual hunger. Because he wants fellowship with his people. He wants encounter. He wants our hearts to be fully his. Amen? Well, that's, uh, that's the introduction. <laughs> let's go ahead. Let's just stand right there.